first record, Samfield Volume 1, was very much designed from my sort of childhood of growing up in Southern California and just doing long drives. I grew up in, in the Inland Empire, as mm-hmm. they, they like to call it, which is just kind of the desert area. And yeah. all the fancy stuff happens out near the beach. So we were always commuting in, and, and my family were all surfers, so we were always going to the beach. Mm-hmm. So we commuted hours every day, and all the jobs were in the, the city and lived out in the suburbs. So it was always that feeling of like long stretches of time. And I think as a kid, just you stare out the window and sort of daydream. And I kind of pulled on that sort of idea of the fantasy life of, of transportation. You know, that it's not, it's not where you're going, but it's how you get there. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of where your brain goes while your body's going somewhere. Your brain can kind of go somewhere else. It can kind of go sideways because you're just sitting in a, in a car or a train or a cab or I don't know. It felt like a nice interior sort of escape a place to pull from for a record you attempted to start it off as a found sound record and mm-hmm. what and they do a lot of found footage a lot of like nature footage in the collective mm-hmm. so their whole thing has been mostly kind of commuting with nature yes and you went in an entirely different direction <laughs> i guess so yeah i think that the idea of the found sound it's it was a it was became apparent quickly that all freeways sound alike yeah it doesn't matter if you're in the freeway in the desert or freeway at the beach you were trying to mic up the freeway I just wanted the sounds. I yeah. thought, I thought, you know, it was the, the ideally just you're playing with sounds. The sound of the desert should, should sound different than the beach. And it's true if you're not within 10 feet of a major freeway or Which highway. It's hard to do in Southern but, California. Yeah. Well, yeah. and the idea of the, a lot of this too, the, this, this, this first record, it was, you know, going from the desert to the ocean, but following this path way along the, the, the 10 freeway and sort of using that, that analogy of like a freeway as a river and sort of the, then documenting the sort of the, sort of the culture and the hmm. life that sort of exists around these major thoroughfares. And so the 10 was our first sort of thing. And, and it's, it was part of Route 66 is, you know, kind of got turned into this eight lane highway. And like I say, it's, you know, it's a well traveled road and, and growing up, you know, we'd go from sand in the desert to sand at the beach within, a, within, you know, hour hour and a half and you through that you, you see the kind of suburban sprawl of terracotta roofs that stretch on for miles as far as i can see then you hit downtown which is a sort of um hodgepodge of whatever um economic development happened at whatever time you can sort of see one building built mm-hmm. upon another and then one torn down and la is famous for kind of eating its own architecture and there's no real sense of history but downtown sure. kind of is this strange stab at some kind of city center idea. And it's changed like tremendous Down- in the past 10 years. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's- Cause I, I'll go there. I actually go there for a convention every year, yeah. like right on Figueroa, mm-hmm. you know, at the, uh, the Staples center and then oh, the yeah. convention center down yeah. there. Would you go to the AES? Uh, no. E3. Oh, E3. E3 in, okay. In right. June. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotten less stabby. Oh yeah. 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 It's, it's insane. I think that finally the downtown development that they've been trying to do for the last 20 years yeah. actually is happening. <laughs> or has been happening, you know, but I think there was always been talk about it. And then, you know, I remember like, it was the nineties recession, you know, it was a yeah. thing like, Oh, okay, well we can't do it now. And then it was the 2008 recession. Like, Oh, okay, we can't do it now. But everyone always said, no, it's going to get nice down here. It's going to get nice. There's always something. It's just, but the idea you know, of a but, city center in Los Angeles is just so foreign. Yeah. It's such a why? sprawling city. <laughs> People say, why would we just stay in one place? Yeah. I mean, we're on the move constantly. Like it's nothing to, to sit in your car for an hour to go get lunch with a friend. You know, yeah. you say that, but it's funny again, cause I'm, I'm there once a year. And I'm, I'm from Northern California originally, so I have a lot of friends out there. So I'll, I'll go there for the events, and then I'll try to get friends together. Yeah. You have to decide between your east side and your west side friends. Yep. It's just sort of – it's kind of a fact of life there. Yeah, yeah. It's a shattered kind of community, but I think – 
it's also um, it's I think for me that that's where I find that creativity is sort of in between the cracks of, mm. of those communities and the spaces and be able to sort of traverse different locations and communities and sort of find the like what's interesting about the the friction or harmony between all those kinds of things you know like just the, even the idea you know of, of these sort of conceptual records or these high art sort of um, sound collages but being created at this kind of low low brow sort of you know downtown grungy sort of space like the smell mm-hmm. you know there was this sort of high low constant kind of flux i think within what we were doing as no age as this punk band kind of coming from the streets yeah. but, but playing somewhere like moma or you know there are these bigger kind of you know the new museum or creating these big soundtracks for things it sort of felt like there was um an interesting sort of explosion of creativity to happen between the jumping worlds and i think la is perfect for that i was reading uh, an interview that you did when when the record came out and i think you used the term punk ambient which i thought was really interesting <laughs> what, how does yeah. that how does that apply here i think it's it's sort of just the idea of yeah, i think i mean punk in the diy sense of yep. you know sort of do it yourself i think if you look at ambient or soundtracks or new age or these things all kind of have these connotations of, of wizened old men, you know, with maybe a soft uh, cable knit sweater on or some kind the, of, the, you know, like those first couple of Brian Eno records synths. are yeah. so interesting from the standpoint of it just seems like he just had it figured out. Yeah. Right. I mean, he really kind of <laughs> hit the ground running and the first ambient record he did is like perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if that's so much to, to do with, I think it has a lot to do with his genius, but it's also to do with, I think the, the idea of keep it simple, you know, there's a simplicity to something and and don't mess with it. You know, if it's good right out of, you know, there's, you know, you create, um, you know, kind of a loop or some kind of effects sort of send and you enter that one note into it and just watch it, watch the computers or the effects processing sort of like take over where you don't have to do too much touching to it. I think it's one of the harder parts of the restraint of, of creating these ambient pieces is that you don't, the more you touch it, the, 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 the muddier it can get sometimes. So it's less, there's definitely a less is more sort of idea or, or creating, you cre- the way I look at it is that, you know, you create a, um, a sort of a playground or a template, like a laboratory sort of a set of circumstances where I have this delay, I have this reverb, I have this mo- modulation and these things are all kind of set there. And now I have to just drop in the, the information into that, into that environment and sort of see the, the harmonic information and sort of then see, let it do its thing. Do you feel like your job is kind of an editor? It's, it's, yeah. Well, absolutely. There's, there's a large editing process at the end, but I think in the, even the beginning, it's, uh, it's, it's practicing that restraint, you know, in kind of this Matthew Barney sort of way of, hmm. you know what I mean? Like that when you're, when you have a set sort of set of, when you have a set of circumstances in a very scientific way of set, you know, you have a, things can only move in so many directions and what can change is, the human element. And so you just add that impulse into it, you know, yeah. of, you're, of you're a tone or sound. Machine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you can kind of let that do its thing. And then from that, you can kind of call hours and hours of material and then you kind of snip and prune it into something that you kind of feels like, ah, there's, there's this, there's where the emotional sort of resonance happens. How long did this album take to make and how much material did you end up actually recording that you had to edit down <laughs> into these tracks? This record was, Probably about a year and a half, so about eighteen months of incubation and and, and wow. testing and prepping. You were doing other um, things in the meantime. Yeah, okay. yeah. It wasn't a full time. You know, it wasn't. <laughs> so it wasn't hours. you in the basement. Yeah. No, but uh, it was. It was something that, that uh, came up right after the last No Age record came out, and and uh, Dean and I were touring, but we were doing a two weeks on, two weeks off tour approach. Mm. Being uh, new fathers, you know, we were trying to figure out how to how to 
tour, like a professional band would tour, but not be gone for six months out of the year. So we kind of just extended it into about a year and, and just did a half time. You know, we're like part time touring and part time being home. But while I also was a bad father and took part of that time at home and to make this record with, yeah. uh, with my partner Aaron Farley in it. And so a lot of it was, was creating the sounds, but also going out and shooting the footage. I felt like I treated the video as, as very much an equal partner in the creative sort of process of this record. We had a few minute long conversation about a podcast setup here, yeah. right? And at the end of the day, there's not a huge amount of difference if I you know recorded this in a you know five hundred thousand dollar NPR studio versus <laughs> these like crumb little microphones I have and, and and the playing field when it comes to producing music on computers has leveled so much. Yeah. Um, is there really that big of a distinction between what you're doing and what anyone else is doing to create an ambient record? Probably not. And I think even even if I were to go back and look at what those early Brian Eno setups were. There was probably, I imagine, you know, some cutting edge tech at the time, but this, but. In a way, the, it was probably actually really punk compared to what we have now, exactly, right? It was exactly. Probably all analog and. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I think there's, you know, there's something definitely to be said for that. I think it was more just my, maybe it was my own sort of fear yeah. or insecurity of like entering into this world of sort of, um, aesthetics in a way that I didn't feel really qualified for. And, you know, I know, I know guitars, I know the pedals, I know touring and sweating it out. And this is a much different sort of uh, motivation of kind of that, that taking a step back and relaxing and sort of let the sound sort of wash over you. One thought though on the on the idea of the economics of, of recording is uh, we just recorded Noah just recorded a new record mm. and we recorded it ourselves and I've, I've slowly been amassing you know the, the studio that I could afford you know but uh, I have a lot of talks with friends who are also doing the kind of the same thing like everyone I think in the yeah. music world you kind of realize pretty quickly like okay with you know a laptop and Pro Tools you're about 80% of the way to perfect sounding record you know what i mean you also have to be like crass from an economic standpoint of just being like it's it's gonna cost this much money and like yeah records don't make money the way they used to exactly yeah and i but i think but i think the, the funny thing so say like 100 if, if on a scale of like one to 100 100 being thriller or the most perfect sure. produced record whatever that is in, in your Brian mind wilson yeah, yeah. Your, your pet sounds yeah. your or your your, your steely dan sure. so that's sure. 100 so for for about you know for about, you know, roughly, you know, a thousand dollars, you could get to about 80%. And mm-hmm. now if you want to get to 80 per, 85%, you got to spend another $3,000. You don't you want, want to get to 90%, you got to spend another $14,000. So do you want a punk a, record that sounds like Steely Dan's Asia at the end of the day? Not. No. Absolutely not. Like you want it to no. sound a little shitty, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think, but I think when we say shitty in the, in the digital Pro Tools world, it's a different kind of shitty. You yeah. know what I mean? I think there's a, there's a tape punk boombox shitty. And then mm-hmm. there's the, ooh, that's just, it's, you have, you, we call yeah. them Dorito bags, like the the digital distortion. They're yeah. like, ooh, okay, it was running too hot into compression this. and just weird. Yeah, the the computer has a way of like, at least in our parlance, I think for today there may be you know, you know musical archaeologists in twenty years like, oh yeah, that was the age of Pro Tools, bad compression and bad mm-hmm. digital reverb and bad you know all these things that it'll kind of document what this what the bedroom or sort of the DIY bedroom laptop records yeah. of of two thousand nineteen sound like. And it's really interesting. This is something I think a lot about when it comes to top forty hip hop. Oh, yeah. Is how <laughs> much the auto tune movement is going to just pinpoint it in a place in time. Like, and that's what you don't want. I go back and listen to those old Mountain Goats records, and I still mm-hmm. love them. Beautiful. There's something they were recorded really horribly. They yeah. were recorded on his home stereo, or even like yeah. the early like Guided by Voices stuff. But that sort of crappy home recording is kind of timeless. And digital 
compression or you know peaks things like that are probably not going to be timeless in the same or certain, way certain effects that are popular yeah. at the time yeah well that was that was a big that was a big thing we talked a lot about with the last noage record snares like a haircut literally is in the title mm. we had this long discussion of you know if you're a certain type of music nerd or audio nerd you can hear a record and everything else can you can float around but that snare yeah. sound is going to instantly like drill it into a, a place in time that like gated 80 snare yeah, and, reverse gated yeah. 80 snare you have these really sweet warm you know, kind of poppy Motown snares, you know, and you know, that's like, that wasn't, that wasn't uh, close mic'd. That was in the room or that was an overhead that was picking up or that was coming off of the, the music sheet of the vocalist, you know, where that snare just bounces around. It has, the snare as a, as a particular element in the rock and roll or sort of pop music sound, like is very characteristic of that because it cuts through. So you're always going to hear it. It's kind of that, that's the, that's the ear two, you know, if you're one, two, one, two, you know, it's, the, yeah. it's your bounce back from, from, so when your head nods, that's where it's going it's on that snare. So you feel it but but it can jump out it can jump out at you in so many ways that just instantly tie it to a place in time i mean I think even from like a hardcore perspective those like piccolo snares you uh-huh. know like bing bing yeah. you just, you, if you're a weirdo like we are i guess you just it stands out in a way that like you know your clothes can change everything else can change but that haircut you're gonna know exactly <laughs> what year that haircut came from you're gonna know exactly what year what time that uh, snare came from it's really funny because yeah. uh she was here for the for jason's interview yesterday and it, he ended up talking about drum sounds too just completely <laughs> prompted yeah. so i don't there's like there, there's a, there's an interesting commonality because we were talking about it from the standpoint of like him first getting into music and yeah. he you know you're kind of amassing your studio right now and he was like very proactive about right when i'm getting into music like i'm going to get all of that equipment but he he instantly went to drum sounds is that oh, something yeah. that that hyper specific part of production is that something that you've been focused on for years or is it something that you've just sort of like amassed through osmosis over the years yeah i think i think anything you know, once once you open up that Pandora's box of I want to, I wouldn't mind having my own studio. Okay. You know, then I think drums become your first, yeah, or not your first. It becomes the the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room yeah. because it, drums are it's it's air. You're documenting air fluctuation, air pressure fluctuations in, in a in a space. It's not guitar. You can almost plug the guitar straight in. You can it's an mm. electrical impulse. Yeah. You can you know if nothing else, plug it directly into the board your, and, into yeah. your computer into the same thing. It's electrical to electrical, and and in you know even with the speaker movement of guitar, you know. There's there's more physics or dynamics to that, but but drums that's it. You're 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 just trying to capture air. You know it's uh, so it becomes this, and everyone's got a thing. There's a million gurus and how tos and videos and what Steve to do. Steve Albini comes to, to mind as like, somebody who's course, very obsessed with course. where drums are positioned. Yeah. Well, and he's made some really incredible drum sounds, so yeah. he has the right to say those things. You know, and there's yeah. a lot of great drums. You know, when you're, so you so you dig in, I think it just becomes the the fun uh, parlance of any studio people. Are like, oh yeah, you know, what, you top miking, yeah. you know, bottom miking. Yeah. That's there. You do, where do you put this one? It's what that you one, people it's like, talk about when you yes. get together. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's the fun, it's the never-ending story that no one really knows how to do. Yeah. But you, you know, it's, it's ideally you're getting the right drum sound for the right record. I think in our case, I'm I was fortunate enough to only have to build a studio for one band or for for, for one drummer. So I, my job became infinitely easier. Yeah. I didn't have to buy all the mics for any particular situation that comes up i had to buy the one mic or the this is the one set of mics for the one drummer i was going to record and that was kind of what i was building it for there might have been an element of that in the ambient record but it didn't end up being the case but like it, yeah. like that would have been the case if you were doing found sound right i mean those in-person recording techniques would be very important to what yeah. you're capturing yeah yeah i mean we bought a you know Far- aaron farley and i bought a big boom stand you know i was mm-hmm. like, standing on the road looking like you know i was on a movie set or something and with the big, <laughs> had the the big most boring movie yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> that's kind of 
and then for a minute I was in the, some of the shots because it just looked so funny. And so, and, you know, it was just out there, just the big boom mic and a raccoon sort of muffler thing yeah. on it, like just recording just trash on the side of the road. And, you know, I came back into the studio, just the sound of bags blowing around on the side of a freeway. And it just, you, it was indecipherable. You couldn't yeah. tell the difference between one thing or another. And, and, and but visually it looked, it looked gorgeous. It's documenting the trash blowing around the side of the road, but auditorially it just did nothing. It it's just funny, was all though, like, I, I feel like it would work with you with, you know, given like the, the music that you've made and given how important like fuzz is and given yeah. how important distortion is, that could be sort of an interesting base. You know, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if metal machine music is like a good <laughs> goal to have, but like certainly this could be the foundation for something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have hours and hours of, of various degrees of uh, white noise is really yeah. all it's, it's what it sounds. I think when I, when I came back and took and divorced the, the sound from the image, it, and that was also another thing of that too. Like once you take those sounds away and, and you see something moving, if you don't have a one-to-one correlation of like, okay, I see a bag floating around, but I don't hear it. Or if you're going to, mm. if you're going to commit to the found yeah. sound sort of thing, you kind of want to tightly lock it in with something that you're seeing. So it becomes more of a documentary sort of feel. And I th- once we took that element yeah. away, then became this more dreamlike sort of idea. And that felt better. It just became technically easier to work with the, the project without having to to say this is what that sounds like or trying to do this almost fully artist recreation of like mm-hmm. there's a bird tweet yeah. tweet there's a thing oh. hitting like you know, celery like, on a yeah. snare drum sort of thing yeah, yeah. yeah it just became like I was like hey, that's not really what I want to do it was more about that in- interior life of, of yeah. and just calling attention to something that I think is intentionally boring you know I think travel sometimes is just you know you're, you check out and, and you just you're not paying attention to all the little detris and flotsam and jetsam that you see kind of as you go around you just kind of want to forget that that pile of trash in the corner you don't want to think about that you know this thing the thing all the things that you see all the time and i think being able to call attention to that trash was sort of a, a way of you know just re- reframing um the the, uh, the visual aesthetic of travel you're yeah. my third interview yes. on this like yeah. larger collective of the week and and there's interesting approaches to it the found sound one is interesting from the standpoint of trying to be hyper focused on things in the environment i'm sure that just walking around with a, a microphone micing things up is a, an interesting and useful practice it applies to mindfulness from the standpoint of trying to to focus on things you wouldn't normally focus on. Like, you know, like part of my job is testing these gadgets. So I have this new phone that I'm, I'm testing today and I'm testing a camera. So I'm like walking around and there's certain, like there's the way light catches things. There's things I wouldn't notice otherwise, which is something you're afforded when you're capturing found sound. But it sounds like you're kind of doing the opposite. Your thing was more about sort of tuning out the, the sound. I think so. Yeah. It wasn't so much about, the sound of visually, I think we were interested in capturing the, those, el- those elements mm. visu- visually. I think we, we found that that was kind of interesting. It was like the, you know, the, there's a great scene in, in, in the Soundfield project where, uh, it's like the McDonald's arches are kind of obscured by a tree. And so it's like, you almost can't see, it like defeats the purpose yeah. of the, the, the whole sign, but it's iconic enough. You can still see it, but yeah. just with, you know, there's moments like that are just, just, it's comical almost in a way, or just how funny these things line up. And I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think there was, yeah, I just didn't, I just didn't care at the end of the day. Like I just know, I know what traffic sounds like. Everyone sure. knows what it just sounds like. I, sure. I just found that to be one of the least interesting elements of when I, when I took all the, when I took all the elements that we had on the table and what, what did we have to play with? You got 40 minutes to fit on a record. And if, you know what I mean? If you take even, you know, yeah. even a minute of, of just traffic sound, it's just like, Oh God, I would want to, I would instantly, I would turn that off. You know, yeah. I know what traffic sound sounds sure. like. That wasn't, that was not as, as much as I thought, like as conceptually, this is interesting. I just couldn't, I couldn't put, place myself in the, 
position of the listener to stomach that. <laughs> you also put on music to drown out traffic sounds. You yeah. don't necessarily put on music to like drown out the sounds of nature in a babbling brook. Right, exactly. Those kind of things are nice. I yeah. think, you know what I mean? I think if you're in a big field of wheatgrass or of wheat and yeah. things and you can kind of like, you know, yeah, those are alien world sort of sounds because they're not from your normal everyday living urban or suburban environments. But yeah, I was, I was, throwing myself directly into the line of everyday mundane things you you would see and hear and my hope is to reframe the visual but auditorially i was like let's just let's you know with what i'm doing with with the guitar and the effects and the setup i was like that is we'll let that be the focus Mm -hmm. of it i did a i did a song on um on a losing this losing feeling ep it was like our our second release for sub pop and i was i I had a you know a a zoom kind of similar to this Mm -hmm. handheld recorder so i'm pointing at his the Tascam recorder, but uh, and I and I took it around on 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 tours, and I would just record things, and I cut use cut up portions of that, you know, in a song. And what I found, I found that it was interesting to listen to, but it was also most interesting to me because I knew where those sounds were from. I think without a context to it, it yeah. wasn't, you know, what I mean, it was like, oh, that's just a sound, you know, quickly like anything else, the context is hugely important. You know, it strikes me that th- this album is different than probably most of what you recorded from the standpoint of that you're hyper focused on the on what people are going to be doing while they're listening to the context that they're going to be in while they're actually consuming the record. Yeah. Does that change your relationship with the album? I think so. I think so. Cause I mean, the, you know, in, in the writing process with no age stuff, it's you get to about one forty-five in the song, you know, two, yeah. cl- two minutes in the song. Okay. We should either be moving or wrapping up. We, <laughs> we kind of have that moment. There's a, there's an understanding of, of how people um, digest no age music. And I think this one, uh, I intentionally was, was, yeah, really focused on the idea of you know there's gonna, we're making a video with it like how is this going to look with the video or even you know then if you wanted to take it further and, and kind of incorporate it into your own travels or sort of your own sort of you know way of getting around town yeah, yeah I was definitely aware of it and versus the, the kind of punk pop sort of songwriting that the no age stuff usually it, it encounters how, how involved were you with the video aspect of things I mean like one to one like Aaron and Aaron was shooting it and he's heads and shoulders he, he knows he knows what he's doing yeah but I, but I was the kind of the, the the guy that got to be like oh can we point it at that thing can we be there can we look at this thing what if we yeah. look over there and, and I think uh, that sort of helped you know sort of tell the story and I you know did the locations I, I'd pick him up at you know, 3 a.m. in the morning to go drive out to Palm Springs mm. to catch sunrise our first time we did it I think we left at five I'm like oh sunrise is at seven we'll be there right right on time and we didn't realize it's when it, that sunrise means when the sun actually crests but the whole sky lights up for about two hours before that so when to get first light sort of bouncing yeah. off of the the mountains and the hills and the sand and the, the windmills you have to be there two hours before sunrise actually is so a lot of early mornings and giant uh, thermoses of coffee that got spilled everywhere and it's really windy out there as well we didn't know but so yeah so he and i were kind of he he operated the camera and he did the editing afterwards but i was i would say the two of us were there together like boots on the ground kind of moving around kind of seeing what we could document what we could find when the album isn't actually built from found sounds in the way in which it was initially intended but there is a video element of it how do you make sure that these two things work in tandem it was a lot of back and forth. So we'd go out and shoot, you know, for a day. And then I would, um, I'd come back and either make something or I'd have or do an edit pass on something I already had and kind of see if it was jiving with what we just did. And then he would send me a cut of what we had. And then I would try to play, hmm. you know, that kind of the matching sort of game or like, okay, what this was. Cause a lot of times when we were out there, I would have a impression of what I felt while I was doing it. Yeah. And so I would use that sort of 
impression on like oh i think it should sound like this you know there's kind of this warm sort of somber tones in the beginning and then these kind of lush rhythms at the end you know there's just you know small microtonal adjustments of rhythm and, and pacing of sort of based on what what things felt like as we did them and sort of what you're feeling of you know what the way i felt being you know in a beach environment versus being in a desert environment or sort of you know, these cruising through sub- suburban homes and the, the the downtown sort of hecticness and gridlock traffic that happens there. So kind of just take those emotional, you know, almost emotional resonance prints and sort of like, okay, now this is the sound. Yeah. And then I would make it and then I'd retool it and then go, I would kind of play with the image as he would send them to me and, and then I would... And then I would send him what I had, and that would sort of change his mm. direction he was going. I think it was a very sort of documentary sort of feel at first. And then as he heard more of the music, I think he was like, oh, wait, we can can go way more psychedelic and kind of this more um, kaleidoscopic kind of editing process that evolved with that. And I just, yeah, felt great. Do you feel like he was ended up being a collaborator on the musical aspect based on his input? I think, oh, absolutely. Without actually pressing yeah. any buttons? Yeah, yeah. I think just in similar in a way that I was a collaborator yeah. on the film side without ever snapping a picture. You know, I think we were both talking through it and standing yeah. next to each other and like playing off of ideas. How did he impact yeah. you in, this, in, in the way that like the music sort of made the video more psychedelic? How did it yeah. go the other way? I think... Um, listening to something for a duration of time like for two minutes of audio feels a lot different than two minutes of video i think mm. video or visual elements like take so much more of your attention i think there's there was a sense of weight you know when because i was just watching something for two minutes without any sound you're like okay this is I, I, i'm getting bored i'm getting antsy i need something yeah. and then you add those sounds to it and then it's like okay now we're, we're here but it's not fully i think it allowed me to go f- to to stretch out more because i think either one by themselves i would just get antsy like i don't know i don't know this isn't feeling enough. There's not enough going on. But as we had put them together, it allowed me to kind of relax a little bit more. Like, oh yeah. no, the video by itself isn't capturing me. It's not. It's not engaging for a long period of time for forty long forty minutes. And the sound itself, I didn't feel was absolutely you know, 100% engaging. But I think the two of them together allowed, almost gave each other permission to sort of go longer or mm. to go, at least from, from a music standpoint, I really was like, oh, okay, that, that thing I was cut, I was trying to cut that six minute thing down to two minutes just because that's sort of my intuition. But once I saw these, this visual sort of uh, tapestry unfolding over this, over this uh, linear edit, I was like, oh no, it's perfect. It needs to go longer even. Now yeah. turn that six minutes into eight minutes and now we have something because then it helps, it supports the storytelling that's going on visually. Do you meditate at all? Is, no. Have you tried to? No. I, I as a, as, yeah, as a teenager, sure. I had some, some, some dabbling. One of the things that I always find really interesting is like, if you, if you ever, if you've ever done a guided meditation, you know, one of the things generally the voice walking you through does is like t- tells you to unclench muscles and they're like muscles you didn't realize that you've been clenching all day, like your jaw muscle. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're like, oh, oh yeah. my God, like yeah. I, yeah. like the entire day. In a way, after making all these two minute long punk songs, this must feel like that, right? It must feel like just sort of like <laughs> taking a, a load off. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think there's always been, you know, I think No Age is, is interesting that it's, it hasn't always, it's not always just the, the start stop kind of, you know, mm-hmm. we've, we've allowed ourselves to kind yeah. of explore our sounds in, in some ways, but I think never to the point of this, you know, this was, I think there's, yeah, I think there was definitely a relaxing element to it or just that feeling of like, I can, I can hold this space. I'm going to kind of just go ahead and just, I think working with, you know, uh, the Arthur King collective and, and, and Aaron Espinoza and just kind of understanding what they were looking for or what their collective was set out to do. It was like, Oh, that's very inviting. I have, I have a place for this stuff, the sounds that I've, a lot of the stuff I would from 
from the, when I first started with a four track in my bedroom, I would just make stuff. And it wasn't always, you know, there was no sense of like, oh, this is going to be out released on Sub Pop in yeah. six months and we're going to do this and tour, build a tour behind it and do these things. I was just always making things. So even once No Age started touring and releasing records, I still always had this, you know, when I was, I don't know, not bored, but just something to do as part of my daily sort of routine of just like, oh yeah, I want to try this thing mm-hmm. out. I want to play this thing. And so I would always just record things, but, but maybe it would be, you know, six to 20 minutes of just sort of ideas and then, um, no, with nowhere to go, you know? And so the, the Arthur King sort of idea is like, oh, okay. Like let's, let's, I can go further and then, and then try to kind of button it up into a, something that made sense. Were you interested in ambient music specifically? For, for myself, for making it? You mean yeah, or, uh, as for, a listener? For, yeah, for, for, for making it. I mean, was... Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's always been something that uh, that's interested me, especially approaching it from a guitar standpoint. Mm. You know, I think as a guitar ambient musician, I, I don't know how other people work in synth world. I'm imagining a lot of it feels yeah. very synth heavy or very kind of computer based. This is why it's so pedal is, based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, yeah, just the idea of being able to kind of let these notes stretch and compositionally how you can kind of like layer notes onto it. it i think i think i was approaching it from a gear side first you know it's just as like ooh, what does this do and then i think the the, the sound was sort of the product of those experiments i like uh, yeah i like the idea of just these long long passages I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to sort of yeah. say what it is. Cause I don't. I'm not a. I don't have a huge ambient record collection at home. You know, and I don't. I don't often participate in, in ambient listening sessions uh-huh. myself. But I can appreciate the, the sounds and the elements of it. Almost. Almost more like a sample pack of ambient sounds in a way. We're like, oh yeah, okay. Like, and just pull from small things for moments. Were, were you doing that? Were you listening to more of that kind of music as you're making this? No. No. Okay. <laughs> I feel like. I, then I yeah. feel like there's a bit of a. I mean, you've a bit of an stuff. Yes. I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. 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 There's like certain ones. But yeah, music for airports. I'm very it's, familiar with. It crosses over into into new age stuff like pretty yeah. quickly to a point where you just like. Eh. Yeah, I think if you're not getting a massage or, yeah. or drinking yeah. tea somewhere, <laughs> then it's kind of you're like, is this the appropriate place for this? Sure. How does this fit in? And I think I was, you know, I was probably my own toughest critic or sort of the quickest person to sort of put myself down like ah oh, come on what are you doing don't you don't think you're so <laughs> fancy with that but part of the experiment I'm just trying to have fun with it and just sort of yeah. see what i come up with you've already recorded the new new age record yes so it's in the can it's it's yeah it's getting mastered now was so. was any of this exercise useful in the recording of that record absolutely yeah i feel like it was it, it was the sense of um Almost, I got it out of my system in a way. I feel like a lot of these. these <laughs> that's, that's, this, I mean, yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's useful in a way. But I, yeah. I, I just mean, like, was there anything that you learned here that you applied oh, to learned, it? I feel like it's 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 constant, you know, small lessons just from a sure. daily practice of being in the studio. You know, I think of uh, kind of this this compact board I have that I built for these these live shows mm. for doing these live solo shows it's a series of cool um delays that sort of run into each other and i think it's it, i created a kind of smooth streamlined way to create these long extended ambient passages so i could bring that into the studio there was moments where in theme was like i think this song just needs some glue like ooh, okay i can i can glue this, this song together some glue some glue you know cause just i think to, like they pull the pieces together yeah because i think a lot of times and it's like in the mixing sessions you know we, we intentionally sort of wrote this very stripped down or for us a stripped down sort of rock and roll record is what we imagined hmm. this next noage record to be but then we found like ooh, well this is a little too naked come on can we put some gauze or something mm-hmm. you know some kind of sensor some, and, and some so, tape yeah so some very thin uh, <laughs> masking tape around some things and just in the sense of like okay that's just really one guitar one yeah. drum one voice like there's really it's really stripped down in a way that almost was too uh too naked and but not emotionally naked just sonically like there's not enough going on here that's just they're, they're, and mm. they sound they don't sound like they were recorded 
I don't know, in, in, in the same room together. So, you know, but the, yeah. although they, they were, but it was just a feeling of like, not quite there yet. The, the cake wasn't done being baked. So I was able to kind of take this solo, uh, pedal board with all these delays and, and kind of ambient effects in it and sort of like just sprinkle those in places where it kind of needed this like, oh, okay, there's the pad that sort of sits in. And I think that's kind of a, um, studio trick anyway, like sweetening things with just literal like, uh, synth pads. Mm-hmm. You know, you sort of just, you set the tone there so everything else kind of bounces off of that you put a note and you kind of you don't even hear it a lot of times but it's just that kind of like oh there's some angels kind of like somewhere in the background sure. and you mix it off to the right yeah That's, you know so so you're you've, you've actually got a pedal board yeah are, are you actually like manipulating it with your hands while you're doing this live or is it is are you just playing through guitar like what's your yeah. what's your live setup for so the- yeah so it's a guitar into this pedal board and yeah no i'll get down a lot a lot of times and that's you know that's uh, what I've been doing for for live sets um, is really just playing the whole record because mm. we have the the video that goes with the whole so record. So you are recreating the album. Yes, recreating and also playing off of pre recorded sounds as well, yeah. cause which, which is something I do a lot with No Age, where there's there are pre recorded samples and triggers okay. and things. So it's this is a lot of it's reimagining the album in, yeah. in some ways. It's not an exact one to one recreation, but it is at least. Uh, moving through all the same spaces as of the record. You've got it worked out beginning to end with these sort of triggers and you're going off the triggers. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there's kind of, kind of know how long each piece is and kind yeah. of times up to the video. But again, I'm on the floor for about half the set, just kind of like changing yeah. the parameters of the pedals and kind of had to figure out the correct shoes and, you know, things to wear drum. Cause I got like hunched over and somebody told me like, We're not getting any younger, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, they're like, why don't you just yeah. put the pedal board up on a table? And I was like, I never would have thought of that. I'm yeah. like, well, I need to hit it with my feet. He's like, yeah, but half the time you're hitting it with yeah, your, yeah, yeah. dealing with your hands. It's like, oh, okay. I don't know. Nels Klein always has his kind of like music stand for his memory man yeah. and things. So maybe there's something yeah. in the future. If he he does it. There tinkering. might be something to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, might, he may know what he's doing. Yeah. Have you gone back and listened to any of the live stuff? Uh, of the of this record, yeah, I'm just curious, yeah. like how different it sounds when you go back and listen to it versus the album. Yeah, I mean, I feel like my uh, my squirrel brain gets the better of me, and I kind of overplay it. Okay, just in the live setting, it's just like a yeah. You know, like, it's a, just ba- like a band, a band plays plays the songs faster live, yeah. or at least we do. You're like play, literally you know, you're just, entertaining people. Yeah, you're interacting yeah. with that live audience. I, so I think there's a there's a sense of the, the entertainer in me kicks in to kind of just you know give more to when there's an audience versus me by myself in our studio. So I think it, it it busies it up a little bit, which may not necessarily be the best thing for it, but I, that's my own sort of insecurity yeah i mean it's it's yeah. probably better for the people in the audience but it's just the end product it's, you're probably not going to want to listen to a recorded <laughs> version versus no, i think they're i just think they're different they're yeah. different animals in sure. to a degree i think there is something when you when you're when you're dreadfully aware of like eyes watching you and just going to hold that sure. one note for a minute it just becomes that like you know like the dream or some kind of nightmare you're just you're sweating each ticking of the second like they're just listening to one yeah. note i could make more notes like i have all the notes right here i have yeah. all those effects right there i could touch it like but in, on the record no it just kind of holds that one line and like okay but take it, a breath you know and just but like but know, ambient music like, is it's something that, again, unlike all the other stuff that you make musically, is something that's made to be listened to while you're doing other things. Right. So to have a, sh- and that's why, thank goodness, you know, that Aaron Farley is such a 
amazing filmmaker and editor and, and working with the team at, 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 uh, Arthur King collective, they, you know, we've put together this huge, it's a three screen, um, sort of panoramic mm. view of this, of this awesome video piece. So that's where it takes it. When, if I get antsy, I, I try to take the pressure off myself and go, well, they have something They're They're not just looking at me on the floor with pedals for 40 minutes. Um, that's, there is this amazing thing behind me that I can't see because yeah. I'm in front of it. So I'm not exactly aware of that, but you I have can to just take, see the eyes. I have to take solace and like, yeah, just look. Look, look up there. Don't worry about what I'm doing down here. Just, just watch this yeah. this palm tree, you know, kaleidoscope spiral into a clover field of freeway, you know, um, lace. It, it gets it gets weird, but it's fun. Does this feel like a one off, or is this a thing? No, that you my hope is in? my hope is to turn it into a series. That's why I mean, it's it's so it's volume the, one. The, yeah. the hubris of calling something volume sure. one. It's sure. <laughs> like yeah, no, just volume one. That was yeah. it. Um, uh, my hope is yeah to do a volume two very soon and to kind of continue to to create my own projects along this way. But also, I think fold in more people into this idea as well, like kind of using mm. the the Arthur King. I think platform, you know, like, all oh, right, you just invite people in to sort of play in this world. And yeah. I think there's, there's more ways of doing that too, and make more films and, and videos for myself and for other artists that kind of would want to work in that way. Do you think that at some point, will you try to explore found sound again? Um, I think so. I think so. I think it just kind of is, my hope is that it's motivated by the subject and yeah. sort of where, where you are and what, what it sounds like there. I think, I think there's, if there's another sort of place that's like, oh, okay, this is sort of auditorially interesting or there's something to it. I don't know. I think, I, th- I think there's just, uh, you have to have a certain kind of brain and a certain sort of process for it. Yeah. Cause again, like what you do with those found sounds is just as much was what makes it interesting or not interesting. You know, I think having uh kids playing on a playground and you puts a little bit of ghosty reverb on it and some delay. Mm-hmm. And now you're suddenly into like, uh, and then they were found murdered in a field. It becomes this, you know, the soundtrack to these like reality shows or 2020, you know, yeah. you, just, you hear the ha 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 yeah. in the distance and never to be seen again. That was the last time, you know, you just, it's like, I'm just so aware of what those things sound like. It's like, okay, well, what do you, what do you do with it? You know, I think there's a million, there there are a lot of great artists who can really work well with found sounds. I think it just, I think it's, it almost becomes an easy, certain sounds become an easy, uh, lean in on certain emotional sort of touch points. You know, I think we've heard so many found sounds used in so many ways that I think it's like, okay, if I can do something new and interesting with it and push it in a different direction, I'd be interested. But I think it's really interesting that, that, that they're like, you know, do, they're doing all these nature things and your mind went straight to the freeway. Um, because, you know, when I moved out here, um, it's, this is probably even more the case in New York than LA. Uh, I, I moved out here um, from California and I had been here for, you know, six months or a year. And I went back home for the first time. I went to school in Santa Cruz. Okay. So I went, I went back to visit some people in Santa Cruz and, you know, it's all like redwood forests there. And I was like, Oh, I haven't been in darkness and I haven't experienced silence since I moved here. It completely retunes your brain when, when you're just used to just sound all the time. There's always some sort of, I mean, like, you know, here there's that kind of like white noise sound of the air conditioner. There's just, there's just a constant, there's a constant noise. There's a constant din of life in the city. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's, I, th- I think you're absolutely correct. And I think that's those, our brains are so interesting that they can tune stuff out. And then when they that, have to, or you would go insane. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think that, uh, 
yeah, but but there's something also then when you when you're able to draw attention to certain things, you know, it's like you're you're kind of playing with your um, parameters of the almost like the, your no, your own internal mm-hmm. noise gate yeah. of how much you let in and how much you can sort of tune out at once. You yeah. feel like this record is kind of the soundtrack of your brain? Absolutely, yeah. It's the interior, it's the interior <laughs> soundtrack for for my um, sort of place and time. Um, and so, and that's my hope too, is to, as I, as it evolves, it's like, cool, I know I'm the same person, but I'm always evolving and my yeah. experiences are changing. So I feel comfortable using that as a sort of jumping off point. Like what is the soundtrack of the, the, what's the sound inside my skull sound like, you know, and it changes <laughs> from with time environments and, you know, air pressure molecules. This one isn't so bad. It could be worse. Yeah. 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 There are other, yeah, there's other the playground sounds. sounds would be, that would be, if, if you, I don't if know you said, to have playground sounds in my own brain. Me, but, if you send me like reverb playground sounds on a record and you're like, this is the sound of my brain, I would be like, I do not want to be in a room with this no, guy. Yeah. It's not good. Yeah. Clown sounds and yeah. Squeaky wheels, you know, hospital carts. No, <laughs> this is uh this is very much. And I think that's, what's just fun about it. Just being able to keep it fresh and interesting and sort of being my own worst sort of critic as well. So hopefully it keeps it fresh you know and not not just relying on certain things because you know ultimately i just love making sounds you know the guitar is a you know sort of my vehicle to sort of explore sounds and i think there's certain there's a certain limitation to that but there's also a certain it's a it's that becomes the challenge how to make not how to make a guitar sound like this how to make a guitar sound like that but more just sort of where can this thing go with me and these six strings and these magnets in the wood like okay what is that stays constant and everything else can kind of like just keep reaching for that horizon of where else we go with it there you go. That was Randy Randall of No Age, his new solo ambient record. Arthur King presents Randy Randall Soundfield Volume 1 is out now on Danger Bird Records. That was the third of three Arthur King interviews. Go back the last couple of weeks to check out conversations with Jason Lytle of Graham Daddy, Aaron Espinoza, and John Schlue. Thanks to everybody for taking part in that. Thanks to Samantha set up all those conversations if you enjoy the program there are a number of ways to support us you can read interviews on itunes google podcasts we're on spotify and youtube like us on facebook if you have any feedback it's rwellcast at gmail.com follow us on tumblr that's rwellcast.tumblr.com that's the first and best place to get all your riyl related information and that's about all we got for this week so stick around because we're going to be back just about this time next week with another episode of riyl (laughs) 